0: Hi, my name is Jana Metzger. Welcome to The Gospel House. Our mission here at The Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel, we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies the implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance the gospel message of Jesus Christ.
1: Today we are in Mark 1, 1 through 1-9, that says this, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, just as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger before you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and the people of Jerusalem. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching, saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to bend down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Strange Christmas passage, isn't it? Doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, does it? You know, it's really interesting. I love this aspect of the Bible, of the Gospels that we get. Um, and I've, I've heard this taught on before. Maybe some of you have heard this before. But we, I've, I've talked about this before. You know, I used to teach English, and it's always kind of a pet peeve of mine that sometimes we read the Bible and we don't apply some of these critical thinking skills that we are taught to in English. I know, y'all, I taught high school English. Nobody actually pays attention in English class. I get it, but what's the first thing your high school English teacher teaches you? They teach you you've got to know who the audience is, right? There are four Gospels that God gives us in his word. Every single one of those Gospels is written to a different audience, So you get different. Now, when you go through the Gospels, this is a stumbling point for many. But when you go through the Gospels, some of the stories are told differently, right? Some people recollect some of Jesus' teachings differently. Some of the things happen a little bit different. But that's not because they recounted things incorrectly. It's because all of the Gospel writers are writing for different purposes. They're writing to different audiences. This is pretty cool, y'all. The Gospel of Matthew. When you look at the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Matthew's purpose is to persuade the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah. So, when you go through the Christmas story, when Matthew lays out the genealogy, look, I know when we read our Bibles and you get to that long list of names, that's when we hit skim mode, right? It's like... Yeah, right? Because nobody can pronounce the names anyway, so who cares? But in that genealogy, if you trace that genealogy, Matthew is laying out the genealogy of the kingly line, this this royalty that that Jesus is the Messiah, the the, the son of David, of that royal line. And so that's what he traces it to. Now, if you go to Luke's gospel, the genealogy in Luke is different. That's because Luke's got a broader audience, Luke's hitting everybody. And so he traces Jesus' lineage all the way back to Adam and Eve. He's showing that Jesus is the Son of Man, sent not just to the Jews, but to save all of mankind. So that genealogy is different. Then there's the Gospel of John, right? I know who all likes the Gospel of John in here. Because the Gospel of John signs and wonders, right? It talks about the miracles of Jesus. And so, what's what's the genealogy in the Gospel of John? Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus existed before all of creation. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things came into being, right? That's the Gospel of John. Okay, now we hit this. The Gospel of Mark. What gives, (laughs) right? There's no genealogy. There's no Christmas story, there's no nativity, there's no, nothing. No baby Jesus. Come on, Mark, give us something. Not even a cute little baby that we keep, oh, look, it's Jesus. Nah. But that's because Mark is writing about Jesus, God's suffering servant. Nobody cared where servants came from. Do you know that? Actually, that's the, for real. In ancient times, it, the ancient they didn't record genealogies for servants. Nobody cared. We don't care where you're from. We don't care where you were born. We don't care who your dad is. Right? What do you care about with a servant? That they do their job. So guess what Mark records in his gospel? That Jesus came, that Jesus did his job, and that Jesus did it perfectly. Right? That's why I love the Gospel of Mark so much, right? No nonsense. Just get to work, right? I told you guys this last week. That's a problem with me. I am a task-oriented person. So I like the Gospel of Mark because it's just Jesus down to business, right? Soon as it starts, Jesus is getting down to business. I like that. Put on your hard hat and get to work. Jesus, let's do this thing, right? Right? But don't you dare think for a second that I am not going to milk a Christmas message out of this story. I know that there's no baby Jesus. I know that there's no three wise men. I know that there's no little Fisher-Price goats and sheep on the sides, you know, singing Carol of the Bells and all the things. But we are going to get a Christmas message out of this. Because, just like Jesus in Mark's gospel, we have work to do, right? Right? We got work to do, church, because we have a Christmas harvest. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, this Christmas harvest. Last week, we hit on the mission of Christmas, that Jesus came to this earth on a mission, right? We talked about John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus was here for a purpose. He was here on a mission. And so we need to view this Christmas season with that mission in mind. Because Jesus tells us just as the Father sent me, I also send you. And so if we're going to be Christians, if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, we got to go like Jesus went. We got to do what Jesus did. And Jesus came on mission. So we got to be on mission. This past Wednesday, we had a really good time here at our Wednesday night family worship night. Um, I had a really great time. I can't guarantee that everybody else did. We kind of laid down a little Holy Spirit conviction. So it was a little, you know, that it's that fun, hmm, not fun kind of thing. But we talked about Advent. And specifically, we talked about the history of Advent. You know, Advent comes around. Some of y'all have seen the Advent wreaths, right? Where you light the little candles and you light one candle each Sunday of the week. There's four, or total of five candles, and you light each one. But what's interesting is it really wasn't until the Middle Ages of, of that, that Advent became so Christmas focused. See, now when when we celebrate Advent, it's almost always entirely based on Christmas. But that didn't happen until the Middle Ages. Before that advent was always focused on the second coming of jesus not the first coming of jesus at christmas and so we asked the question the incredibly uncomfortable question are you ready for jesus to come back <laughs> if anybody's got to go to the bathroom and just scurry out the front door after you know this is a really good time to do that it's an uncomfortable question right Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Have you talked to the people in your life about Jesus that you want to be in heaven with you? Are you walking with Jesus in a manner worthy of being called a disciple? Or, what's the flip side of that? Are you going to hell? Are you content? Are you standing by content while your friends and family seal their eternal destiny away from Jesus. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? See, it was a really encouraging Christmas message, right? Yeah, oh boy, we're ready for Christmas, Pastor. But guys, the discussion that that led us to, at least in our group, it looked like the other groups were having really good discussions too, but the discussion that it led us to were unbelievable, y'all. And we, we came to the conclusion in our group, Christmas can be such a monster, such a monster, because we get into this Christmas season, and we are so busy with all of the things we have to do that we're not looking at all at what Jesus is telling us to do, right? But one of my favorite points that we brought up in my group, I didn't bring it up, but but gift giving, the act of giving someone else a gift, supposed to be because you love the other person, right? Yet how many times does gift giving turn into an obligation at Christmas? Right? Jan and I go through it all the time. We go through the list. and am like, oh, gosh, did we spend the same amount on each kid? We can't let this kid know that we love this kid more because <laughs> we don't. <laughs> right? So you want to make sure that everybody gets the same. Everybody has the same money. Did we get enough for this kid? Is this kid going to be disappointed? And it's an obligation. It's not fun, y'all. Now look, that obligation is rooted in love, right? right? I have an obligation to feed my children when we get home. It's good that I do that. But when did Christmas turn into this monster? Right? We talk about this a lot here at the Gospel House, but as disciples, we want to give everything to Jesus. We want to let Jesus have control of absolutely everything. And I know I posed this question, but y'all gotta double down on this is the holy spirit really bringing the heat here are you giving jesus this christmas now look i know all the excuses right well this, this this could be aunt mildred's last christmas so we gotta make sure we get over there oh well this i know i know i've got them too but what if jesus told you i don't want you to celebrate christmas this year I would rather you go to the hospitals and pray with people this Christmas. Would you say yes? Or would you fight him? Because guess what? When you fight with Jesus, you always lose, right? Even if you win, you lose. What if Jesus is telling you this Christmas, I want you to bring that coworker who doesn't have a family to spend Christmas with, I want you to invite him to your Christmas. Jesus, all my family is going to be freaked out. Will you do it? Will you give Jesus this Christmas? The reality is, y'all, if Jesus comes back tomorrow, we don't even get Christmas this year, do we? All the food, all the presents, all of it's out the window. My kid's not going to know that I bought him a video game for Christmas, right? Because Jesus is going to come back. He's better than any video game. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. And the reality is, there is a harvest that is just waiting outside of these doors. But we are so busy with Christmas. Do we have time to harvest? Jesus was probably the busiest man on the planet. And yet, he always made time for people. We talked about that last week. Right? We get told these stories about Jesus going away to solitary places to pray. And every time we are told that story, Jesus is interrupted by someone needing something from him. Jesus, we need this. This person needs healed. Jesus, we need you to come feed these people. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And not once does Jesus say, wait until my prayer time's over, and then I'll respond to you. Wait until I'm done talking with my father. No. He drops everything and responds to people immediately. immediately, because Jesus saw people. So we talked about last week, but I want to dig deeper into that. So we're going to talk about one of my favorite passages. I've talked on about this before. I don't know if I've ever done a whole sermon on it, but it's from Matthew 9 verses 35 to 38. And I think in all of Jesus's workings, this is the best like singular, encapsulation of Jesus's ministry. This is just what Jesus did in a nutshell. Everything else, you know, the Jesus's works and the miracles and all of those things, they were were a result of this, of the way Jesus approached people. This is how Jesus ministered said Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest." Guys, look at the promise here. I feel like we've—I've I've heard this preached on a bunch. I've heard tons of teachings on this passage, but look at what the promise is. There are people ready to respond. You know, I—I I, I get really into all those church studies. You know, I—I I don't like them, but I like them. You know, the Barna Group and everything, they always put out these studies about how many people hate Christianity and how many people go to church and, you know, the percentages and all that stuff. And the Barna Group right now says that if you invite somebody to church, they will say no. It's, it's bad ministry. It's, it's a bad tactic to try to get somebody to come to church with you. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I think if you invite someone to church and they say no, it's because they don't see the fruit of Christ in your life. They don't believe what you're selling them. That's rough, but that's what I think. Why do I not believe it? Because that's what Jesus says. Look at what Jesus says. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. People are there, y'all. But you need to go. You need to get out into the fields. Because the harvest isn't going to come if we just sit here, right? if I post some clever little advertisements on Facebook and, you know, try to get people to come, that's not harvesting. That's not me going out. That's not me living the gospel in front of people. But if I'm living the gospel in front of people, and then I invite, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. And that if I will just go out, that they're there. People are there. They're ready to respond. So are we going to listen to Jesus? Are we going to go where he tells us to go? Are we going to harvest where he tells us to harvest? And most important, are we going to do it the way that Jesus did it? Right? Because in this passage, we see three very distinct things that Jesus does. Jesus acts, Jesus sees, and Jesus feels isn't that great? And they all build off of each other. So, let's go. First, Jesus acted. It says that Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. We talked about this. Jesus worked. Right? Gospel of Mark. Read it. Jesus worked. All the time, Jesus was working. What's the number one thing the Jews always got so mad about Jesus about? Healing on the Sabbath, right? Even on the day Jesus is supposed to be resting, according to Jewish tradition, he's over here healing people. Jesus, you can't do that. You're supposed to be resting right now. Right? Jesus was always working always working and yet he never ran out of energy did he he didn't burn out because jesus was obedient to the father y'all this whole concept of burnout i understand it you know it's there all this again the studies pastors burn out at this unbelievable rate and all this stuff y'all if you are being obedient to what god has called you to do you will never burn out The reason burnout happens is because people stop listening to God and start fending for themselves. If God is telling you your rhythm of rest, when you need to rest, when you need to work, if God is doing that, you will not burn out. There's no such thing, y'all. I am convinced, but we're not obedient to God. Jesus was obedient to God, and he worked all the time and never burned out. Constantly, Jesus is teaching and preaching and feeding and helping and loving people. We rarely ever see Jesus alone. Every time his disciples are there, right? That sounds miserable to me. (laughs) I like my alone time, right? But look, y'all, I got to be ready to give it up if that's what Jesus is telling me to do. If, G- if Jesus says, Jeremy, I need you to invite some people and they, they're going to come live with you and they're going to follow you everywhere you go and when you go up on the mountaintop, they're going to be there and when you go down in the valley, they're going to be there and they're going to follow. Okay, Jesus, all right. Sounds terrible to me, but okay. We've got to be obedient. Jesus had people around him all the time because he was obedient to what God was telling him to do. And he wanted to tell others what God was telling him. What he knew about God, he was desperate to share that gospel with everybody that he came in contact with. And Jesus didn't just teach in word, right? He showed them the perfect way to live. He healed, he prayed, he fed, he did it all. But Jesus acted. We've hit on this passage every time, it's kind of, Funny that it always keeps coming back up. But the Second Corinthians eight talks about generosity. But Paul brings this up when he's talking about generosity. He says, "Now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the willingness to desire it—that's being generous—so there may also be also the completion of it by your ability." Any of you ever met those people who always overpromise and underdeliver? <laughs> I hope I'm not one of those people. I hope y'all don't go home and think, oh, Pastor Jeremy, he's always saying he's going to do these things and then he never does them. It's annoying, isn't it? Drives you absolutely bonkers. I try so hard, probably to a fault sometimes. Turns into people pleasing, very careful if you're, if you're not, or very easily if you're not careful. But I try so hard not to over promise and underdeliver, deliver because it grinds my gears when people do that. When people say they're going to do something and then they never do it, right? Or they just say it so that they can get you off their back, but they have absolutely zero intention on following through. That's even worse, right? Jesus didn't do that, y'all. And Jesus won't let his disciples do that. What's Jesus say? Let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? If you're going to say you're going to do it, then you got to do it. You have to follow through. And that's what Paul's saying here. It is good to want to love people it is good to want to do good things for people it's good to say that you're going to help people but if you're going to want it you've got to be ready to follow through with it right because wanting to be generous does not make you generous does it you've got to follow through wanting to love people doesn't make you love people you've got to follow through There is a harvest out there. But I worry that part of the reason why it's not being brought in is because we aren't doing what we say we love to do so much. You know, a couple weeks or yeah, last month we gave out those puzzle pieces packets everybody here at the Gospel House filled out, you know, it's just a different series of questions on what they want the gospel house to be and all that stuff. Guys, y'all wrote a lot of hopes and dreams in there. Right? And that's a good thing. But hopes and dreams are just that until the rubber meets the road, aren't they? Everybody in church says they want to be about missions. Everybody in church says they want to be about community outreach and helping the poor and loving on people. That's wonderful sentiment until you put action to it. There is a harvest out there that is not being brought in because we don't put action to our words and our desires, right? That hits hard. Let's lighten it up a little bit. The other reason that harvest doesn't come is because we don't see. Now, we hit heavy on this last week, so hopefully we don't have to hit as heavy on it this week, right? But along with acting, we have to see people. Our focus needs healed. That's what we talked about last week, right? Our focus needs heals so that we can see people. But then, when that happens, we've got to see people. Right? Confusing, I know. But look at Jesus. Seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus didn't just see the people. Right? Right? He saw that the people were hurting. He saw that the people had needs. Jesus did not come to earth to start a ministry, did he? Yeah, I'm curious about that one. He didn't. Jesus didn't come to start a healing ministry. Why not? Because there were people who didn't need physically healed. He encountered people all the time who didn't need healing. And so that would have excluded that entire group of people from Jesus reaching out to them, right? He would not have seen those people. Jesus didn't come to start a meal ministry, right? To just feed people because there were people who didn't need fed. Jesus didn't come to start a teaching ministry. You see where I'm going here? The church today is all about ministries. We need a ministry for everything. And if our church doesn't have a ministry, then I can't do it. False. How is that what Jesus did? Everywhere Jesus went, he saw people. And he saw every individual need of every individual person. And he responded, so in one moment, Jesus is healing somebody because that person needs healing. But in the next moment, Jesus is giving somebody food because that person needs food. And in the next moment, Jesus is teaching because that person needs teaching. Everywhere Jesus went, he saw individual people, individual needs. Jan and I saw this firsthand. Uh, this was right when COVID hit, um, if everybody fondly remembers back to those days. Um, COVID hit and nobody really had any idea what was going on, you know, it was absolutely wild and crazy, and you know, so we, where we were at, we started a meal ministry, and so we started doing these Wednesday night meals where people could come in, we would cook a meal for them and send it home, Uh, we did sack lunches for kids on the weekends who needed lunches, because they usually got lunches at school and they weren't getting that, and so, so we started this meal ministry. As, as COVID continued to go on, and we continued being in lockdown longer and longer, um, there, all of these churches all over the place started doing these big food drives, like these big, you know, driving semi-trucks in and dropping off food, and, and, and it was all over, everywhere on social media, every church in the U.S. is doing these food drives. But the consistent theme, as we did the, this Wednesday night meal ministry with people, they would drive through and we'd, we'd give them you know their meals and then we'd pray with them and then they'd leave. But what was really cool with that meal ministry, as we did that, every week, we started making connections with these families. We started you know, asking them, like, how, how is so-and-so that we've been praying for? We're getting praise reports, you know, like all this stuff. And we started forming connections with these families to where they, I mean, we really became dear to one another. And what was so interesting is that in this meal ministry, these families told us, we would say, hey, you know, are, are you going to go to this food drive? There's this food drive over here. And, and, and they would say, well, actually, we don't really need food. Like the government has, has increased everybody's, you know, food stamps and, and all that stuff so that food's just not really a need. We've got everything that we need. But yet every single church in America continued doing these food drives. That's what happens when we don't see needs. These people told us, we actually don't even come here for the food. (laughs) We come here because we like talking to you guys. We come here because we form connections. We come here because honestly, I just don't feel like cooking tonight. Cool, (laughs) good, right? But this is the problem, y'all. Again, it is so, so good. It's so good to want to help. I I think the majority of us want to do something good, right? I I was talking with my son Elam about this. You know, we were talking about ministering, you know, while he's at school. And I said, Elam, you can't just walk up to somebody and just start preaching the gospel at them. Because that might not be what they want to hear. That might actually turn somebody off more. But you've got to get to know them so that you know what they want. And so I told him a story. It was actually a success that he had once. One of his classmates, Elam, used to bring, have you guys seen those action Bibles? It's a Bible, but it's a comic book. And so for kids who hate reading, it's great because you can read Bible stories, but you don't actually have to read. Uh, so Elam loved this action Bible, but he would take it with him to school and he would read it. And his one friend who didn't go to church, he loved it. He would, he would read it with Elam and everything. And so Elam came home and he's like, Dad, can we get my friend an action Bible? He said, yeah, sure. And so we got him an action Bible. Guys, Elam saw a need right? But he didn't go to his friend and say, hey, do you need a cheeseburger? Hey, do you, do you need some food? Come on, we're gonna, I'll let you raid my parents' pantry and you can get all the food. That's not what he needed. He saw that his friend liked the Action Bible, and so he asked if he could give him an Action Bible, right? See people and respond to their needs, I think the biggest reason we don't do this, though, the biggest reason we don't bother is because it's difficult, isn't it? It takes time, doesn't it? And if we're being really painfully transparent, we don't actually care that much, do we? Jesus did. Jesus felt deeply. And Jesus cared. i used this illustration before. I stole it from Tim Keller. It's all right. I feel a little better because he stole it from some French philosopher named Albert Camus. Travel all around the world and you will not hear Albert Camus being taught in churches across the world. This is not a man who was renowned for his morals. Uh, he was not a Christian teacher or anything like that. Just a philosopher. But he was more in touch with humanity than we allow ourselves to be sometimes. He tells this story, it's called The Fall. You can go Google it, it's public domain now so you can read it if you want. But he's, he, this man is sitting in a bar talking to somebody and he's talking about how his life has just spiraled out of control. And it all started on this one night. This one night he was walking across the bridge and he heard a man commit suicide. And he did nothing. He just continued walking. And so he recounts with this stranger at the bar All of the excuses why he didn't go and help. And then at the end of the story, he comes to the conclusion and he tells the man and probably himself the reason I didn't go try to save that man is because I didn't care. And if we're being really honest with ourselves, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. And the majority of us don't care enough to do anything about it, right? We don't care. We don't care enough to meet people where they're at and to meet the needs that they have. We don't care enough to take the time to actually get to know someone before we decide what kind of Jesus they need, right? That is not how Jesus ministered. Jesus saw the crowds and he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. The reason that Jesus responded to people is because Jesus felt compassion for them. Jesus cared. He cared enough to let them interrupt his time. Right? He cared enough to let them be an inconvenience for him. And it's interesting, as you let people become an inconvenience to you, they slowly start to become less and less of an inconvenience, don't they? Isn't that interesting how that works? The more time you spend with someone, it, it starts as a chore. Oh, I got to hang out with this person tonight. But then as you start to hang out with them more and more, you start to grow more and more fond of that time together. Anybody ever been there? Right? Because you start to feel compassion for that person. You start to care for that person. You start to love that person. And you see that person and their needs, that they are an individual, and you can't just respond to them with some broad ministry, but that you can respond to them as an individual. That's how Jesus ministered, but it's not just how Jesus ministered, right? how Jesus was sent. Look, from last week. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Y'all, God cared enough to see every single one of our greatest needs and to respond to every single one of us individually. Look, we could go through this whole room, y'all, and we could have every single person stand up here and tell you about an encounter they've had with Jesus, and every single one would be different. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if we went around the room and just asked you, like, what do you know about Jesus? You know, what how, what how, how's he talked to you? What's he say? Like all this stuff. Every single one of us would have a different answer because Jesus doesn't do cookie-cutter right? That's why I can't stand up here and be like, well, when you go home tonight, go to your bedroom, close the door, get down on your knees, and pray this prayer. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've made mistakes, but I'm ready to turn to you. Jesus doesn't do cookie cutter. You know the best thing you could do? Go home, close the door, get down on your knees, turn your phone off, and say, God, here I am. And guess what? Let him decide how he shows up, because he's going to anyway. (laughs) Right? God sees every single one of us. He knows what makes you tick. He knows the best way to reach you. He knows the best time to reach you. So if you're sitting there thinking, man, I'd go home and get on my knees every night and God still hasn't shown up. Just give it time. God knows when to show up. God knows how to respond. And he absolutely will if you just give him the chance. But the question is, if that's how God responds to us, why do we think we can do it any other way with people? Why do we try to pe- re- reach people with discipling manuals? and Every single person's different. We've got to take the time to get to know people, to feel compassion for people, to see people, and then to respond to people. Because that's what Jesus does for us right? Last week, we prayed for Jesus to heal our eyes of the wrong focus. That we wouldn't see people as just background noise, right? That we wouldn't see people as inconveniences, but that we would see people as our main focus. That we would see their faces. Now this morning, we need to ask Jesus to heal our hearts, to give us compassion for all people. To teach us to love like Jesus. To show us how we can love like God so that we can see people the way he sees them. So we can respond to meet their needs and act like Jesus acted. Y'all, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. God himself, the Holy Spirit, For every single person who believes in Jesus, the Holy Spirit's with you, living inside of you. And at any moment, you can ask him, how do I respond to this person best? What does this person need the most? And he'll answer. But you've got to take the time to act. And you've got to take the time to be willing to follow through when God tells you what to do. Right? Y'all listen, Christianity, it's really simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. All of Christianity, one word, obedience. That's a really hard word, y'all, because that means that there's no more Jeremy time, right? That means that there's no more Jeremy's way. It means all right, God. You say you're going to do this? Let's go. I'm all in, I'm ready. are we willing to make that sacrifice this Christmas? Or is your schedule so full of the things that you need to do that Jesus takes a back seat? Gospel House, God has promised us that there is a harvest waiting for us. That there are absolutely people who will say yes if you invite them to church. That there are absolutely people who will say yes if you lay out for them the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. There are absolutely people who will respond when you tell them how much Jesus loves them and how much he gave to be with them for all of eternity. But we have to go. We have got to go, y'all. We've got to stop sitting back and waiting for the world to come to us. And we've got to go out and walk with them, and see them, and love them, and minister to them. This Christmas, let's get out into those fields, right? Let's get out there, and let's talk to people about Jesus. Look, I don't care if you invite them to the gospel house. I would love for you to bring them. I'd love for you know the whole world to be here that we can love on. Just tell people about Jesus. Tell people about God. And be ready to respond to the least of these. Because we know that when we respond to the least of these, who are we actually responding to? Jesus, right? It's what Jesus says. Whoever gives a cup of cold water, whoever feeds, whoever visits whoever sits and talks with the least of these is doing it for me let's go be the hands and feet of Jesus this Christmas I am ready to give up my Christmas to embrace his are you with me amen
0: thank you for listening to the gospel house podcast we pray that you were pointed to Jesus and will apply what you learned to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button. Leave us a rating and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house slash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you and remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.